the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to the Links and Locks podcast, Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello of Action Network, and I'll be joined every Wednesday here by my co-host, Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish. Today, we'll be previewing the course at the Cadence Bank Houston Open and covering a wrap-up from last week, course preview of the Memorial Park Golf Course. We'll give out our best bets and then all of our outrights on our card. Then we'll go into other bets like matchup bets, place bets, exotic bets. But before we get to Houston, we have liftoff. Russell Henley came through and cashed both Nick and Spencer's tickets outright at roughly 55 to 1. Congrats on the big week, fellas. I should have tailed. Nick, I'll let you get started. That's your boy. <laughs> That's it. That is. I said it last week. It's the Russ model. Um, I wasn't hurt again. I was, uh, I don't, I feel like I was paid back all the times I bet Russell Henley. I will, uh, I'll try to do a ROI calculator on my history with Russell Henley. It's still probably bad, but, uh, it's, it's great to finally get one. It was, uh, I, I called it on Friday night when he was up, I think it was, he yeah, four Friday and then six going into sun. It, it was over. Um, I know he's blown that lead. He blew it at the Sony last year, but last year I had Hideki at that tournament instead. So, um russ helped me out there too so i don't know maybe russ is just my guy so i'm super excited for that the top 40 ticket as well was probably my heaviest bet i've made in a long time so it's great for that to uh come to fruition especially when i've for the most part been sitting on the sidelines during these podcasts for a while not having a whole lot of plays to bring to the table that's probably the case again this week i'm just not going to chase it but last week i really had a, a good perceived edge on russell henley and i'm excited that he uh he it was just a perfect course for him like i said but spencer you got anything to add to that other than just hallelujah russ finally did it well i mean i think you brought up a good point there where it comes to sitting out and then you found your edge you took advantage of it that's the most important thing in the market is to attack once you do have an edge i think that's a, the first tournament nick you and i both liked when you compare it to all these other tournaments and unfortunately yeah. i'm in a very similar mentality as you this week to where this is one of the worst betting boards for a cut uh, tournament that I've seen in a while. And, you know, last week it was 8.74 units for me. I went 2-0-2 on head-to-head bets. Uh, I ended up hitting Russell Henley at 50-1. to As Roberto said, there were some 55-1 to out there in the space if you were able to find that. But, you know, it's just one of those things where we're going to pick and choose our value spots where we find them. And when they come into play and we end up hitting them, that's great. Like the one negative call for me last week would be Brendan Todd. I lost my top 40 ticket on him, but really other than that, I think everything else came through for the most part. So that's always a good tournament. And the, uh, the Lee Hodges hammer kid, my gosh, did he almost blow it? I think he was tied for 11th with like five or six holes left finishes tied 38th, I believe. So just snuck in there to get that one through. So the hammer kid remains close to undefeated, but, um, yeah. So I, I just wanted to mention that's what I was texting Spencer. I was like, my God, he just doubled 16. I think he bogeyed 17 and 18 too. So glad there was only 18 holes on Sunday for uh, Lee Hodges because he did not enjoy the back nine. So big week for you guys. I didn't have such a great week. I went down 1.93 units, went with a donut last week, unfortunately. Uh, Jason Day was my only close call for top 20 and he finished 21st. So that was a loss. My big L was Kevin Yu, whom I double dip with. He didn't show up last week. 
um he said one two three cancun on friday night and just hung <laughs> out there instead of playing on the weekend uh he's not in the field this week unfortunately so we'll have a chance to play him maybe in an, another week or two so this week we head from playa del carmen up to houston texas for the cadence bank houston open this is being played at Memorial Park Golf Course, and it's the third time that the tour has played at this course here at the Houston Open. The tournament has changed names pretty frequently and changed venues as well. But there is shot link this week on tour, which we haven't had in a couple of weeks. So that's a big addition for us, more data for us to go through, even though there haven't been that many tournaments here. What are you looking at for this course this week? Yeah, so Memorial Park is widely regarded as one of the top municipal golf courses in the world. Over 60,000 patrons play this track yearly, presenting a unique situation in 2019 when Tom Doak redid this venue for the event. It was critical to get everything back to working order as fast as possible, and he did a great job providing a back nine that would create dramatic finishes. Four of the five most challenging holes occur during the final eight-hole stretch, and an additional four spots produce a 17 and a half percent to 27.6 percent birdie or better percentage it will be a give and take of where golfers can attack versus where they need to be more cautious and we see that come into play with winning scores of 10 under and 13 under during the two iterations of this contest since the reconstruction Doak properties are always going to be known for their distinctive green complexes which will remain front and center this week because of the nine percent increase in dispersion of scoring when it comes to strokes gain around the green Players have mentioned how failing to get a putter in hand can present this, I guess I would call it a ping pong nature of going back and forth on this unique contextual setup. And the 23.4% output of pertinent scoring over the past two years in around the green importance is about as high as I've ever encountered for a non-Augusta national comp in the space. We have large specimen oaks that are positioned to cause issues if you're wayward off the tee. The fairways are also 3.1 yards more narrow than average. But this is a diabolical test that will reward quality tee to green play, all while punishing any shot that is not adequately accounted for when it comes to the complex nature of the course. I'm going to do this quickly because I don't want to go through my whole model. But the one big takeaway is the recalculation I did for weighted tee to green. When we remove putting from the equation, the standard distribution for tee to green, and this is historical data here, tends to be about 23.6% off the tee. 53.8% approach and 22.6% around the green. Those totals are widely regarded in my model as the expected dispersion metrics to follow if looking at a course where we have no concept of long-term information. But with two years of data for us to call on this week, there are some massive disparities in how I recalculated my data to fit the course. The first thing worth noting is that even though off the tee experiences over a 5% decrease here versus a standard test, the unique variable that came into play is how distance and accuracy both see significant boosts with my corollary totals. That signifies a roundabout way that we might want to handicap off the team metrics, which is one of the reasons I recalculated total driving to look at 55% accuracy and 45% distance. I then merged that number into its own off the tee standalone total. I recombined that to the expected tee to green weights to be 22.5% off the tee, 42.5% approach, and 35% around the green. That's going to provide the substantial short game increase that we're looking for in our builds. And I thought it did so in a fashion that equally spread out the expected dispersion metrics. But I guess the biggest takeaway from all of that is around the green is very important here. That is the number one thing that I am looking to find a way to build it into my model. I always like doing it in a fashion that is weighted T to green just because I can put a little bit more of my touch onto that by doing it. 
but there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. I mean, whether you want to spread out that information and run around the green as its own separate metric, like that's one way to do it. But I would just make sure that around the green ends up getting an extra boost in your model this week. I like it. And with the boost in around the green play and with driving accuracy in your model, who stands out in your best bet this week, Spencer? So I'm going to say this. You're going to hear my disdain for this betting board numerous times. It's one of those weeks where pricing is solid in most areas. And we get this trickle down effect taking place in individual markets, whether that be a head to head market, which is where I'm going to here. But it's hard to find much of an edge since everything is morphing into what was inferior elsewhere. I'm going to give one head to head play. In reality, most golfers taking on this player should be acceptable. But I'm going to go with Davis Riley minus 111 over Mackenzie Hughes. I originally wanted Sebastian Munoz over Hughes when that was at plus 100 at one of the books in the space, uh, but that price shifted before we could film. In fairness, and I hate saying this, I'm probably forcing things here slightly for content, but it feels like a spot where Hughes' course history and current form is severely boosting his projection in the market. That is something we need to be aware of from a betting perspective, but markets have overreacted to his recent run, providing us the chance to take him on with a golfer like Riley, who my model believes is a top 25 caliber player in this field in all iterations. Uh, Hughes's recent iron play could prove to be the problem when we look at his 90th place mark for weighted proximity and 110th place grade for GIR percentage. And it doesn't help that his total driving ranks 102nd in this field when I recalculated the data to fit Memorial Park. I will do a standard one unit play here since course history has no impact on future results at this track, at least according to my database. But for all the head-to-head -head wagers we've hit on over the past few weeks, and this has been a market that has been successful for us, this is my lowest ranked of everything that we've talked about so far. It doesn't mean it won't win since there's still an opportunity to take on Hughes at what my model deems to be value, but I would temper expectations since I only have about a 3% implied probability edge. That means that anything up to about minus 124 would still show value, but you know, I'm very particular about these wagers. It's one of the reasons why through 700 plays that I've recommended, and this is like trying to find a 30 point edge on them. I'm picking over 60% on them. Like that's been something that's been very important to me to make sure I have that edge. I couldn't find that edge anywhere throughout the market this week, other than on a top 40 play that I ended up taking. And unfortunately the top 40 play has trouble of its own when it comes to limited sample size of data that I'm using. So I'm going to go here with I mean, we'll call it a fate of Mackenzie Hughes. I like doing it with Davis Riley if you're able to find that wager, but uh, it's a very minimal card of how much exposure I want to get this week. We're never going to force any plays here on the Links and Locks podcast. Always consider your bet amount with the edge you have. Nick, also coming off the big win last week, what's your best bet for this week? And will the Hammer Kid make an appearance once again? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll talk about the hammer kid maybe in, in a moment here. I did release that play. I don't think I like it nearly as much as this one. I will give my best bet to Dean Burmeister top 40. Um, the best price right now in the market that I could see is plus 110. I got that price at minus 125. So just a smidge bit of value, but Dean kind of checks every single box for me this week, especially to echo what Spencer said about around the green. His short game is fantastic. He's a fantastic Bermuda putter. The form's great. I believe he's got three straight top 40 finishes, one of them being a top five. Extremely long off the tee, relatively accurate off the tee. I guess that'd be his his only downside, but with how long he is, I think his iron play out of the rough should be just fine there. Excellent par three and par five score. So 
Um, yeah, again, not a lights out iron player with, but with how good his short game is and the good form, I'm just going to ride that and take the slight bit of edge that I did find this week. But like Spencer said, it is very minimal for me across the board. Just really quickly to touch on that. So I ended up betting Dean Burmeister at 80 to one to win this tournament. And now he's down to 66 to one. So Man, I bet that I, I bought the 66, dude. I hate chasing a bad number, but I, I love Dean this week. I've recommended it at 66 to one in my article um, over at Rotoballer also. I mean, I think that you are chasing a number at that point, but I had closer to 50 to one being proper, but maybe a top 40 wager is the more accurate way to go. Once you miss a number and you're trying, if you're trying to at least decide between two bets there and you and I are never going to be people that rush to the outright bets to be our best bet of the week. So um, I kind of like that in the top 40 market. It's something that I heavily considered. It's just, I couldn't get there for one reason or another, and maybe it's just a limited sample size of data that I have. And it's like, it's one thing when I trust it with the player that I took it with because I was getting plus 150, Um, you know, and a 40 point move ended up being substantial enough for me to kind of bite on it. But I like Burmeester this week. I think he's about a 50 to one golfer in this field for whatever that's worth. I got bad news, guys. I have also placed a wager on Dean Burmeester this week. That's great news. For plus 250 to finish within the top 20, for 0.25 units for all the reasons that Nick said, I won't beat a dead horse here, but I like that. We all like him or I'm not sure consensus yeah, worked for us last week. D- double Hopefully. that bet. You you're going to want to double that bet. <laughs> so just a word to our listeners. If you missed last week's podcast, the guys felt very strongly about Russell Henley. We talked about him early in this podcast and we're doing the same thing with Dean Burmeister. Not saying we're going to go back to back on outrights like that, but we like him. Probably will. For my best bet this week, I'm going to go with Sahith Tigala to win outright just because Dean Burmeister was my only place bet of the week. So all my other plays are outrights. Tigala is a guy whom I think has a higher upside than the 50 to 1 odds would suggest. And the key issue for him is his driving accuracy. And Spencer noted how important it is this week. And when he isn't a disaster with his driving accuracy, he doesn't even need to be way above average he just needs to be about average and his game will play just about anywhere and he's only played four tournaments this fall but in the two where he has been minus three percent or better relative to the field in driving accuracy he finished t5 at the zozo and t6 at the ford net when he finished eight percent below the average of the field or worse he finished t67 at the cj cup and he was cut at the sanderson farms he's a guy who may not have the highest floor but I do think he has that high ceiling and I think he's going to be someone who wins on the tour this year or next year. And at this price, I like the number and the upside is there for me. Not somebody I wanted to play in a top 20 or top 40 market, but for the winner outright, I like him this week. I looked at him a little bit. He was a player for me that when I looked at weighted par four scoring and par five birdie or better percentage, he jumped way up in my model. And for all the negatives that we can say about him when it comes to just being very volatile as a golfer, he graded 14th for me in total scoring. And just to kind of, I guess, simplify what that exactly means, that took a 55% overall birdie or better percentage over a two-year sample size and merged it in with 45% overall bogey avoidance. So he's a top 15 golfer in this field, according to my model, when it came to total scoring. And that surprised me for a player that I always think is a boomer bust type of a golfer. And if you're telling me that, and I agree with you, like I, I actually think Davis Riley carries a lot of that same sentiment uh, that you just mentioned with the Gala Olsen. It's a player we've mentioned a lot, but 
the goal O'Reilly. These are two players that I expect to win on tour before long. I wasn't able to get there on either one of them, but I did look at both golfers to try to figure out if there was a way to do it. And um, I mean, I think it's an interesting route with the Gala this week. Well, while we're on him, I also have Davis Riley on my card, have him at 45 to one. And we've mentioned before that he is an elite player on approach at times, or he has the potential to be an elite player on approach. He's a long player. He was tied for 31st last year in par three scoring average. As you mentioned, there are five par threes on the course this week. The weakness is around the green, which is an added emphasis, but hopefully he hits some more greens in regulation, avoids some of that trouble and those tight lies around the green. And we know that when he gains stroke, when he gains strokes with the flat stick, he can contend and hasn't gotten to the finish line yet. But I think it's worth a chance in this field where if Scotty Scheffler doesn't have a great week, we see him at six to one, pretty outrageous at the top of the board right now. If he doesn't have a great week, I think if Davis Riley plays his best, he's got as good a chance as just about anybody. Yeah, I think this probably makes more sense of a way to play Davis Riley. Like, I know I just talked about him over Mackenzie Hughes as a head-to-head bet, but that was my way to try to gain exposure to a golfer that I wanted to have backing with. And, and as I always say, I'm trying to find opponents to take on that I think have miscut equity. That was something that Mackenzie Hughes had for me. Like, I know if you look at Hughes in a nutshell, you're going to see two top 30 finishes at this course but I wouldn't put too much stock into that. This has the least predictability on rollover uh, course data that I've found of pretty much any course on tour. So I don't think that's necessarily something that I find to be super indicative this week. And, um, you know, as I said, Riley was a golfer. I'm trying to find exposure to. It probably makes more sense as an outright bet. I didn't have room with the way that I built my card and I ended up going there with a head-to-head wager. But um, I-, I like the Riley call also for all the reasons that we've mentioned with the goal and Riley so far this week. So now we've gotten into a couple of my outright plays. Nick, want to get us started on whom you're backing to win this week? Yeah, um, Dean Burmeister. I uh, I bit the bullet on the bad price at 66 to 1. I got him priced at 45 to 1, though, so significant value there. I think my model's maybe a little bit off on that. It, it just loves Scotty Scheffler, though. So yeah. in terms of the outright market, it's pretty much putting all its equity on um, Scotty Scheffler and pretty much Bermuda Burns with Sam Burns. Other than that, so... I was looking at Emiliano Grillo at 50 to 1. He kind of checks every single box for me, similar to how Henley did last week. But this field, I don't know. I just I don't see Grillo being able to to beat these guys. But that graded out as a decent value for me. But that's it right now. It was just Burmeester and then kind of sitting on the fence with Grillo. Other than that, I think I'm going to take my ball and go home this week. I like it. We're not forcing any plays. And especially after the Hammer Kid and the Outright both came through last week. Spencer, how about your <laughs> Outright card? I considered Grio myself. I mean, obviously that's a lot of names we've I've talked about here recently of players that didn't quite fit what I was looking for at the end of the day, but were very close for me. So add Grio to that mix, but I ended up betting a handful of players. And unfortunately, I think every single one of them moved in price. And when I say that, there is still value at the number and I'll try to be transparent with where the price is now and where I would play it down to. But I did start with Jason Day at 33 to one. That has dropped down to 28 to one in the best price I've seen in this space right now. I have about 26 to one as proper, but I ran my model to include the current approach metrics over anything else for Day. And he jumped from 93rd in expected proximity to 21st. That was good enough to make him one of three golfers to grade inside the top 30 in every category that I attached to weight this week. The other two were Scheffler and Wise. 
I would add Aaron Wise to that mix of players that my model seems to really like from a win equity perspective. And then the weighted tee to green increased from a projection of 44th to 6th when running it for this specific track. Day is number one in my model at courses over 7,400 yards. And if he can be anything like his old self when it comes to his around the green touch, this can be an ideal course for him to use his total driving and short game to get himself back into the winner's circle. I took Taylor Pendrith at 60 to 1. That is now down to 50 to 1. I had it closer to 45 to 1. You know, now we're starting to get really close on what's value here. And just because of what Pendrith brings from an around the green game in general, there are some issues especially late in this tournament that I could see him finding himself into trouble if he's in contention, but he graded as one of only nine golfers to rank inside the top 30 of all three scoring ranges for reference sake. The other names were Scotty Scheffler, Keith Mitchell, Tony Finau, Aaron Wise, Taylor Montgomery, Hideki Matsuyama, Sam Burns, and Jason Day. So it's essentially all your favorites for the week mixed in with Keith Mitchell and Pendrith. As I mentioned a second ago, Keith Mitchell is a golfer who graded exceptionally well for me in multiple areas. I took him at 70 to one. I see him down at 60 to one. Now I probably have him closer to that 45 to 50 to one price. And my model had him first overall in weighted total driving. That's one of the things that's really benefiting him. And while the proximity does leave something to be desired, he's still 32 spots better than his standard projection for this particular course. He's sixth in strokes gain on Bermuda. He's ninth when facing windy conditions inside the top 44 around the green play. There's a lot to like about him from this boom or bust profile that he brings to the table. I'm not going to go over Dean Burmeester again at 80 to one. As I said, that's now down to 66 to one. I had it proper at 50. And then I decided to take a shot on Sebastian Munoz at 70 to one. This is the real difficult one of the mix because it's down to 70 to one. I have a fair number for him at 70 to one. So that 10 point edge is kind of immediately gone there. But Munoz's best shot will come from his total driving par four scoring and win play. So if the week turns into a blustery mess, I think that would benefit him more than maybe what the price meets there. And all of those numbers there, that's 0.67 units in play for me. Even if you played it at the price and you played it up to win eight units at the new numbers, I mean, you're really only looking at about a 10th of a unit more there. So there's still a lot of room that we could fit into there. And like an example of that would be Keith Mitchell goes from 0.11 units to 0.13 units in needed exposure. If you can only find 60 versus 70, but uh, all of those plays had enough of an edge to account for some of the movement. And then the one thing that I'm saving my remaining bullets for at this point is I agree with Nick, like the two big players that my model really likes this week are Scheffler and Wise. I'm not expecting to ever get a price on Scheffler that's going to be conducive to betting because I think if he blows up, and I mean like severely blows up to where he's so far off the lead, like let's call it like 12 shots off the lead after day one, not you're still not going to get the proper price. And I don't think it's going to be advantageous to make the wager i mean that's something that we'll see if that ends up taking place but i think aaron wise could be the interesting one here i'd really like to get a 30 to 1 price if at all possible and get him closer yeah. to that range that we wanted in the past so i'm going to be keeping a very close eye on where that number moves and he is number one for me when looking at this from an upside sense and i do want to note to that that the reason why scheffler didn't end up grading number one is just because of the weighted par four scoring, which wasn't a huge negative. But when you're talking about two players that are top 10 in every single category that I ran, and then Scheffler is like 24th in that one category, that was enough to move him down a little bit. But I will be looking to add wise if at all possible. I think we've got a lot of similarities between our thinking this week, Spencer. I've got Jason Day for 0.29 units at 28 to one. We know in his last three starts, he's done well. Last week, the 21st, his worst finished among those three starts. Gained significant strokes on approach in all three of his track tournaments so far this fall. 
We know about his short game, and if his, his putter gets hot, he can win. This is just a big FOMO play for me. I didn't want to miss out if he does come through this week, and it's the best course setup, I think, for him of the whole fall. So I'll ride with him. And what's encouraging about last week, even though he did finish T21, he was, I think, two over after the first day at Mayakoba, which you're probably thinking you're going to pack your bags on Friday night at that point, but he rallied, shot really low on Friday, and then kept going low the whole weekend, nearly got that backdoor top 20. I'd rather back him after one bad day and three days of positive momentum than a couple blow-up days throughout that span and a couple even lower rounds. I like his consistency overall, and I think it's worth the shot still at 28-1. to 1. Also rounding out my outright card, I've got Harris English at 0.1 units at 80-1. to 1. He is elite around the green, and whereas most of my other outright plays, their strength of their games is not around the green. That's the one detractor for them. This is a little bit opposite approach where he is elite around the green and he is elite with the putter. And the approach game has come around a bit. Uh, he gained strokes on approach in his last two track tournaments before T32 last week, which was untracked. The market, I think, is lagging behind him. I think it should be closer to 60 to 1. So I like it at 80 to 1 out there. The big detractor for him is that he's not super long and is just about average with his driving accuracy. And then I also am on the fence, was on the fence, but I think came around on Taylor Pendrith at 50 to one. He's also T nine in par three scoring average. And we know he has that upside with the elite length off the tee. If the approach game is on, he can compete with just about anyone other than uh, the two guys you mentioned, or maybe three guys with Burns as, as well in there along with Scheffler. So that's my outright card. I've got a total of, I believe 0.9 units in play this week. Guys, any final thoughts on your outright cards or potential first round leader bets this week? Not really. I mean, kind of as I alluded to at the front of the show, I think books are being very, trying to think what word to use here. I guess we'll say aggressive. I won't be as negative with it. They're being very aggressive in the sense that they're trying to price everybody out from betting the top of the board. That's an unfortunate situation when my model seems to agree of who the favorites are. It just doesn't agree with the prices. So I mean, if you look at, let's just take Burns, Wise, and Scheffler, I mean, they're saying that they have about a 31% implied win probability uh, with the prices that they included there. I have it closer to 25% between those three. So we're looking at about a 6% difference. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to get there when you have that sort of a discrepancy. But when you're talking about, you know, about a 25% win equity, if my numbers are right there between three players, you are facing a very difficult board to where I don't know how much you want to attack it. And I think it's a smart reason why none of us have gone like super aggressive in the routes that we have taken this week. I just think that it's very likely that one of the top names wins. And when that ends up being the case, like I don't want to be sat like sitting there at the end of the tournament when Scheffler runs away with this or wise ends up winning at some price that I couldn't get to. And it's like, well, I saw it happening, but you know, I lost a unit and a half by trying to get fancy by trying to take them on. Like, I don't think there's a need to take them on. I'm going to do it in situations where I did have some value and I ended up having about five spots where I found value this week, but it's not much that you're going to find there. I don't think if you're really shopping around. Well, with that being said, let's get into our other bets. Any other place bets guys or exotic bets you guys have? Yeah. So I'll talk about the play that I mentioned earlier when, when Nick was saying Burmeester and I went to a different area and I don't love this by any means, but I mean, when you look at this price that I got and you compare it to the rest of the market, it's 50, 60 points off from everywhere else. So it's really a number grab at the end of the day. But Davis Thompson, top 40 at plus 150, 
We have a limited sample size of information, but Thompson has blown away any outlook we could have imagined to begin his career. Two top 12 finishes since the Fortinet in three attempts this season, and his GIR rank in my model places in first overall. You could say there are concerns about weighted proximity or his projected par four scoring, but we don't have to look any further than you know most of these prices in the space listing him closer to the plus 100 range to kind of realize that there probably is value in this number. My model placed him 20th from a statistical sense. I think it's a savvy way to use him in this sort of a market since his DFS ownership projection is shooting through the roof. So I'm going to take Davis Thompson at plus 150. That's going to be 0.60 units. Uh, very small play at the end of the day. Like we're not breaking the bank on any of these wagers that we're making, but I do think it's a good number grab price that I found on him. Yeah, the only other thing that I got, and Spencer, I'm surprised you didn't bring him up. This is your boy, Alex Smalley, top 40 on FanDuel is plus one, or cut that. Alex Smalley, and the uh, the best price I could find in the top 40 market is plus 165, and that seemed like a great number. Looks like a lot of the other um, books out there had it closer to minus 110 or plus 110 at the longest. So to find a plus 165 out there, that's a number grab for me. The only issue with Smalley is obviously his par five scoring is nothing special. That's going to hurt him a little bit, but he's plenty long off, off the tee. His distance so far this season has been scary long, especially for a guy like Eric Small, or, uh, Alex Smalley. And the Bermuda putting, I guess, is significantly better than his baseline, which is not good. So I'm going to take the uh, the course fit here on Alex Smalley. He's relatively accurate off the tee. Kind of checks every box for me besides the putting, but Bermuda, like Russell Henley we talked about last week, this is a better surface for him. So I'll buy low on Alex Smalley and take the number grab if you could still get plus 165 out there. I think you've probably talked me into it. It doesn't take much for me to bet Alex Smalley at go. the end of the Hit day. It. And I agree with everything that you just said. Like he's 15th for me in an overall rank sense. My biggest concern came down to the par five scoring, which is what Nick just alluded to. But I guess the one difference would be that you only have three this week. Anytime that you don't have four, I think that there is an advantage to be had for Smalley in that sense. And I don't know. I mean, my numbers just like him so much. It's kind of hard to avoid it. And when you are number grabbing a situation where plus a hundred is more of the accurate price, I think it just kind of makes sense to take it when there's not a ton on the board. Well, you know what? I'm in on it too. We're all aboard the Alex Smalley train. I didn't <laughs> see that cool. price. That is the hammer so. kit play though, unfortunately. So we'll see what happens. All right. Well, let's see if the hammer kid can stay hot with Alex Smalley. Guys, any other final bets before we get out of here that you like to mention? No, I don't think there's anything for me. Like the one bet that I will say, and I, I don't have it on the top of my head right now, which uh, I'm going to paraphrase exactly what it is. And I didn't end up going down the route, but on bet three, six, five, this is going to be a shocker to anybody that listens to this show every single week. Cause I think this is the first positive thing I've said about him in months. I kind of liked Adam Hadwin to come. I think it was 50th or better in this tournament. That kind of feels like the ideal Adam Hadwin market to attack him into where I don't know exactly what his upside is. My model liked him from a safety perspective. It kind of liked him across the board with it. If he gives you that, prototypical 36th place finish. You get a winning bet there at minus 120. Didn't end up actually punching the ticket because at the end of the day, I didn't want to have exposure to Adam Hadwin for all the negative reasons that I always say about him. But I'd be curious to hear what you two think about it because my model did think it was one of the better values on the board on bet 365 when looking at that market. Yeah, I would agree. That's a, that's a pretty good price. Everything that I see checks out that that's a relatively good edge he's he's higher than he has been certainly yeah. on uh on my numbers here so I, I don't mind it it's just i'm not a i'm not a headwind guy right now but i definitely like the price in terms of just the pure math of it 
I'm in the same boat. I like that he's a strong putter, strong around the green, strong with driving accuracy. The driving distance, or lack thereof, limits the upside. But overall, he's been solid this year, made every cut. I think finished top 50 in every event on of the among the four that he's played in. So I think that works out. Yeah, it's it's always gross taking Adam Hadwin. Like, even if you just read his finishes on tour, you're kind of flipping back and forth between, you know, top 50 and not top 50 with him. But that's also coming from a model of mine that almost 100% of the time does not like any of his potential that he has. It doesn't like his safety. It doesn't like his upside. It doesn't like anything across the board. And when I look at this and he's top 15 in pretty much all iterations of how I ran my numbers, that's at least something that perked my curiosity here because it's a golfer that I know that my model never historically likes. So if there's something different that's coming into play here, uh, that means more to me than in a lot of these situations. And even when you look at my model, like from top to bottom, I'm not going to run through every single name right now. You're going to have all the names at the top. You're going to have your Schefflers, your Burns, your Wises, your Finals. It's going to be your prototypical players. And like, that's what I always tell Nick when we do shows together. When I get one of these outliers, and I understand like Hadwin is not an extreme outlier. He's a 66 to one golfer, uh, you know, who's, I mean, one of the top 30 favorites or whatever it is to win this tournament. But it at least is an outlier of what I historically get with him. Like, it'd be the same sentiment that I always say with like Denny McCarthy. My model never likes Denny McCarthy. So whenever it does boost him into the top 10, there's always a reason why I'm like, oh, that makes sense to why I might want to play him. So I'm trying to figure out a way to fit Hadwin into something that I do this week. Maybe that's what I end up going to before it's all said and done. Uh, I saw a head-to-head matchup with him over Hughes. As I said, there was a matchup with Munoz over Hughes. There's kind of a lot of ways to play it. I took the Riley route with it, but I thought all of those players kind of made sense at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's a really smart way of approaching it. And it's important to be cognizant of what you normally value and don't value and take another look sometimes when what you normally see is a little bit different in your models. Yeah. Guys, any final thoughts before we sign off? No, not for me. It's I mean, We're getting close to the start of 2023. I'm hoping we'll get some better tournaments to begin that, but Last week's tournament is is kind of exactly what you want to see if you're building a bankroll here, because, uh, you know, at least if I'm speaking for myself personally here, there was a lot of tournaments in the row where I lost, you know, a unit or less than a unit. And all of a sudden you get over an eight unit victory there. And that p- pays for a lot of golf that went negative there to start with. So uh, it's going to be a small exposure card for me this week. There's not going to be a ton of that I'm going to have in play. I mean, if I hit an outright, obviously that's going to be great. Maybe I end up getting Aaron wise in an in tournament sort of bet here, but no, I mean, it's going to be another small tournament for me as far as exposure goes. And we're just going to keep building back up into where we have these tournaments that we can attack. And when we do, you know, we're going to be ready to take it on when it is. Nick, any final thoughts? Go Dean. <laughs> Go Jason Dale. Add that. Uh, this I do might a be quick the question. Okay. Pick one guys, Fino, Hideki or Aaron wise. If you had to choose Aaron wise, is this from a, like a, a, a betting sense? Just, yeah. Uh, just like one and done type of thing. I would pick Aaron wise. All right. Love it. Well, don't let the pod get hot. The fellas, both Nick and Spencer hit on an outright last week at 50 to one Spencer the week before hit on an 80 to one first round leader. And two weeks before that, I hit it on a, an outright as well with Keegan Bradley, 35 to one. So everybody's been making some money lately. Hopefully we can keep it rolling into Houston, Texas this week. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Links and Locks presented by Bet365. For more great golf content, 
from our Action Network and Golf Bet team. Check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring Golf Bet's Jason Sobel and PJ Tours' Ben Everell. We also will have our Best Bets loaded on the Action Network website when this loads in the morning. And Spencer's also going to have plenty of content throughout the week. He'll have a first round card for tomorrow out. And then, uh, guys, where else can we find your work this week? Yeah, you can find a lot of the work that I do over at rotoballer.com. As you said, Roberto, I'm going to have a first round leader article. I'll have a, uh, and that's from first round leader bets to, to lead the first round. And I'm also going to have a head to head. That head to head will be included on Action Network this week. I'm going to have that coming out tomorrow. Uh, you can follow me, as you said, on Tee Off Sports. And uh, yeah, Nick, where can everybody find you? Uh, again, win daily for all things NFL and also the best bets on the Action Network app and article on primetime games. And then uh, Twitter at Picks, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. And good luck to everybody this week. And hopefully you tuned in last week and got a good bankroll rolling. All right. Well, that'll do it for us here. Thanks again to everyone for listening in. Thanks to Nick and Spencer for joining me. Thanks to everyone on the back end who helps produce this podcast and get it up every Wednesday morning. You can find us on Twitter. Once again, Nick is at Sticks Picks. That's Sticks with an X. You can find Spencer at Tioff Sports. And then I'm at Roberto A213. That'll do it for us this week. Here's hoping you hit the green. Hit the green.